oh, uh, you know, it's not that it's not that good of a deck. So I was like, okay, like, yeah, it's like it's the number one played deck right now, or it was for some amount of time. I was like, whatever, it's cool. Uh, but yeah, I had him dead on board. I drew a bolt off of the um, off of my draw, so I could have just bolted him for lethal. But uh, instead, I I used the bolt and a lightning axe to wipe his board. Pitched a phoenix, uh, brought back phoenix, got shot, and then swung for like fourteen. I think it was. So was his life total? It was three. His life total was three. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> did you just did you just misplay? Or did you do it on purpose? No, he did it on no, purpose. No, I, I, I fully did it on purpose. Oh. <laughs> like I watched this whole thing happen, and I was just like in tears. <laughs> and like he's like Aaron's super deep in thought about how I could beat him. <laughs> he's, he's it was thinking. funny. I thought Freddie was gonna slap him in the face afterwards. I was like, it was, okay. ki- it was kind of a jerk move, but it it was it was fun. We were having fun that night. <laughs> So not to have fun on $5 Saturdays. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, uh, hello and welcome to episode five of the eternal implications podcast, the podcast that is full of buyouts, pump and dumps and all sorts of evil MTG finance activity. Today, we'll be talking about how to get physical cards for upcoming tournaments and our thoughts on a handful of the cards that have been previewed in modern horizons in the last few days. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing really well. I had macaroni and cheese and watermelon for dinner. Sounds delicious. It was great. <laughs> How about you, Josh? I too am doing well. I had a much less healthy dinner. Uh, I had some Pizza Hut. Uh, nice. It was a very satisfying day of hard labor and almost getting murdered by wasps. That's <laughs> <So. laughs> true. How are you doing tonight, Freddie? Oh, pretty good. I had uh, some shrimp tacos for dinner, so that was that was. Oh my gosh. And uh, yeah, just been getting through the grind, waiting for a school year to get over. So, Fair uh, so let's go ahead and dive into our topic of magic cards. We all play with cardboard crack that's really expensive, and especially in eternal formats. Uh, so today we're going to give you top ten ways to get cards you need for a tournament. So, Josh, what do you got yeah, for yeah. us? Yeah. So the first one uh, is one I've done a lot, uh, and it's trading up and trading. Um, a lot of the times um, you can get an initially expensive card and start your collection that way. Uh, for me, back in the day, it was at Ravagers and uh, original Fetchlands. And uh, it broke me into uh, Extended and the like. And then getting back in, uh, I uh, I traded um, just random expensive um they called it edh more regularly at the time i don't even know if the first commander set had come out um but just trading uh trading a lot of expensive commander cards that that were expensive because of commander for uh playable cards i remember when uh, (laughs) i remember when mind sculptor dropped i remember trading bunch of bunch of random junk uh for mind sculptors and uh, i was, was all the happier for it yeah, I think uh, talking about like trading up and uh, up trading all that stuff. Uh, commander players, as like you know, someone who's a constructed competitive player, are some of my favorite people to trade with because uh, we have we have a <laughs> lot of opportunities to 
make both of us happy with us both getting what we want because I get like the one or two cards that I'm really needing to finish out a deck and they get like 50 cards that helps them finish out like three decks. So um, yeah, that's always really nice when you have a uh, mutually beneficial relationship like that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I would like to add a couple things. So this used to be me to a T. I used to have $15 a month as my play money. And then I would have to uh, binder grind my way into Snapcaster Mages and fetch lands and duels. And so I did this for like three years until my wife got a good job. And I no longer had to, which was like fantastic. But by that point, I already had like my first piece of power and I had all my blue duels. So uh, this is basically what I did for three years to generate a collection. Uh, the principles Impressive. are pretty simple. You trade uh, more cards for fewer cards. You trade standard cards for modern cards, modern cards for legacy. Um, typically, once you get into vintage, cards are not worth uh, their salt because there's just not enough demand. And then anytime you have loose packs, uh, so say like you do well in a draft, try to trade those for solid cards rather than opening up random standard garbage. Nice. So I've never I've never traded packs. Like that's I've heard I've you're the second person you're the second Seriously? person I've heard mention that. And it's uh <laughs> it's something that like never even crossed my mind because I'm I like cracking packs and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> what'd I get? But that definitely seems like it's a more solid trade. So <laughs> Yeah, it, it's a hundred percent in your favor over the long haul. So you can like open up a pack and get a foil playable eternal card, which is super rare. But it's a guarantee if you say, hey, I value these three packs at $10. Can I trade for your stomping ground? Back when stomping ground dollars. And by and large, people like you who are addicted to opening up packs <laughs> will give me <laughs> their good cards. Oh, but, hell yeah, I will. <laughs> yeah, I know, for real. Uh, <laughs> this only bit me once. I did it once with my friend Steven, and he opened up a foil polluted Delta. <laughs> so crushed. Oh, yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bummer. But if you think about it from the terms of a store, a store values the packs at about $2 to $2.20, uh, depending on which set it is. But Because that's what they can open and then sell the cards for. But if you say, I value them at you know three thirty three, or sometimes you can find someone not wise and uh, three for $12 or whatever, um, and uh, you're, you're just guaranteed that, like, 66% equity there. I'm nice. into it. <laughs> so don't open packs. I do recommend opening the standard showdown packs, but everything else is not working. Oh, yeah, there's nothing you can do to convince me not to open those things. Those lands are gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I value so this pack at $40. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, for people who aren't interested in spending years binder grinding and trading uh, into staples. The quickest way to get either a deck or a card that you need for a tournament is just simply borrowing them. And now that I have a collection, this is something I do pretty regularly. We had uh, a modern PTQ or a PPTQ back when it was still a thing, uh, and like a 1K that we were all traveling to, and I lent out a bunch of cards for it. There was a legacy. I think it was like a GPT or something. I gave out all my blue duels to people so we could actually have uh, players in the tournament. 
Uh, when I went to Seattle, I had to borrow an underground C because it's 300 and something dollars at the time, and I didn't want to trade or buy uh, the card. So borrowing cards is simply you developing a relationship with people who have deep pockets and <laughs> you know, like building up equity with them in the sense that, hey, I, you can trust me with your underground sea. You can trust me with your volcanic island. I'm not going to ruin them. I'm going to take care of them. And uh, even having I'm like... not going to leave the deck box on the table. Yeah, I'm not going to... Yeah, get them <laughs> stolen. Uh, you just want to have uh, collateral at the very first transaction. But once you've built up a relationship, it's usually not a big deal to borrow cards. I, uh, this actually applies to me pretty well. I borrowed underground seas from you for that uh, that large legacy tournament that I that I top aided. Um, That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I think that was actually the first time I borrowed cards from you, and you loaned me like two seas and a tundra. <laughs> you know, like, like, yeah, here. <laughs> I couldn't make it. I was working that weekend. Yeah, yeah. You hooked it up. So. Uh, you made it to. I my other deck choice was sneak and show that weekend, which obviously wouldn't have been a poor choice either. Uh, I was just going to borrow that actually too. But either way, uh I was I was set because of borrowing. Yeah, I think uh you know, another thing to add on that with borrowing cards, I know um Josh, you've loaned me a lot of cards and I've borrowed cards from people before. Uh is if you are going to do that, make sure you take I I like to be of the mindset take better care of somebody else's cards than I would of my own. Um, yeah, that's good. so like those those are like on me at all times yeah um they don't they don't leave my site they don't get left in deck boxes they're you know i'm pretty meticulous about it goes in the bag after the match double check it's there zip up the bag keep it with you all that stuff so um but yeah just just a good guy note on that yeah i've had more than one occasion where i've loaned decks out uh in modern uh, scales. It always seems to be when I learn out scales, it just gets left somewhere, and I'm like, "Can we not leave my original Mox Opals and old school Ravagers just sitting, <laughs> sitting on a table?" Uh, it's like that feels really, really bad. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, on our next one, uh, Mana Traders. Uh, it's a rental service for MTGO. They do paper cards as well. Um, it's pretty expensive unless you plan on grinding stuff. It's about a hundred bucks a month for $500 worth of cards or $180 a month for thousand dollars worth of cards. Uh, Travis, you have a, you have a bit of experience with mana traders, don't you? Uh, on two levels, one with MTGO, this is my only way to play Moto, uh, constructed events. <clears throat> I have, uh, the $60 a month service and I've had it for, man, over a year now. So the price is down to like $54 a month or something like that. Uh, so I really like it for Moto. It's extremely convenient, and I've never gone over my limit. Um, for paper cards, I have yet to do it, but I've played against people in town and at GPs who used it, and they swear by it. Uh, these are for people who are like seriously grinding and don't want to buy into standard, uh, or they're transitioning transitioning between like modern and legacy and standard and they need to be able to fly between decks and they don't have a collection or they don't want to keep a collection so if this is you just know this is an option like if you've got the money to just you know hop between decks for a simple fee uh mana traders and there are others out there as well yeah, yeah i think I, card hoarder started one up too 
Yeah, I, think I wish right. the service would have been available when I was driving to PTQs every weekend back in 2010, 2011. Um, I wish there would have been something like this at the time. I yeah. imagine it would have been cheaper back then too because magic cards were cheaper mm -hmm. by and large. Yeah, and I think uh, we've, we've kind of talked about this before, Travis, like, because you were saying that it's like the way to go for, because um, I know you like to switch decks up and stuff like that. I'm I'm kind of the opposite. I like to have my, you know, I play X deck and I want to practice with it and get good <laughs> <Burn>. with it. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> uh, and so like, for that, for me, I was looking at it and I was like, well, in three months, I would pay the amount of money that I would to just like own it. So it made more sense for me to just buy that deck. So that's something to look at as well is like, how much is the deck that you're wanting to play actually going to cost you if you look at MTGO? Um, right now, MTGO is super cheap to buy into if you're wanting to buy cards. Um, so that's another thing to consider with it is just that cost benefit analysis of what am I going to get out of this over the long run versus. Mm -hmm. um, am I going to do this continuously and want to change decks? And I think for someone like yourself, cause you're playing like vintage on their legacy, modern, all of those things, like it makes so much more sense for you to do that. Um, myself, I'm not so much on the legacy or the vintage. So. Yeah. And that makes a hundred percent sense. Uh, yeah. Because that's exactly what I do. And I'll switch between, you know, five different decks over the course of a week. Uh, so it, whatever, Five O's right. or whatever wins the challenge, I'll play that. Yeah. So next one up is Card Sphere. Um, Card Sphere is a fun hobby of mine that I enjoy doing. Um, so basically, how Card Sphere works, and I've heard people who did Puka Trade say basically it's like Puka Trade if Puka Trade wasn't trash. Um, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> if it was so, <laughs> Because uh, Puka Trade was based on its own currency, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, yeah. Puka, Puka points. Puka points. Um, so manage or card sphere. The big difference on that is you're actually backing it with cash. So when I go and I want to, if I want to purchase cards on there, I can just swipe my credit card and say put a hundred dollars on my account and then start listing wants that I have. Uh, it gives you the index price, and then you list a percentage of index that you're willing to pay. So if I'm looking for foils, I'll be like, uh, I'm, I'll pay 90% of whatever it is. If I'm looking for more common stuff, I say, hey, I'll pay like 60%, 70%. And so that's the thing that when people get into it, it kind of throws them off is, am I, am I losing value on this? And the answer is, it depends. Um, if you're strictly trading, I would say no, because you're trading you're receiving cards at a discounted rate as well. So similar to how trade apps inflate based on market value um, versus if we were doing a cash deal, like I would give you a significantly lower price than what market value is. So, <clears throat> uh, but yeah, you go on there, you list what you have or you list what you want and then people just start sending you cards. And so you go to your mailbox and then you get an email that says so-and-so is sending you these cards. Uh, you check them out looks good. You go on there, mark that you received them. And then that credit gets uh, credited to your account. Uh, Cardsphere holds it in the meantime. Um, and they're really good if there ever is issues as far as helping you get that resolved. Um, so, and I would say as a general, the community on there is pretty great as well. As far as actually first trade I ever did on there, I had uh, engineer explosives and I listed it as like moderately played or, uh, and the guy emailed me afterwards, like, this thing looks great. It's, like, light played. Um, I'm opening a dispute on it so we can get you more money. And I was like, really? Okay. 
<laughs> so um oh wow, that's cool yeah 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 i can only think of like one bad experience you've really told me about on there and it was and even then that wasn't that bad like it was just kind of like i felt like that was more of a miscommunication and people just being weird but like and we resolved it before it ever got to where one of us was out cards or disputing something over oh i'm out it was (laughs) yeah but you've got him like sitting on my desk right now dude All right, I got you, baby. I need my fix. <laughs> so, so Freddie, let's say I wanted to get Expedition Misty Rainforest, which I really do right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's say I had the points or whatever the currency. How likely is it that somebody would send me, you know, a two hundred dollar card? Uh, it depends on how much you're offering for it. So, I would say. Like when I foiled out Burn, that's where I got a majority of my cards. Um, foils were definitely like slower to get, but I tended to just offer more money for them. So like some of them that I was, if I waited more than like a week and nobody sent it to me, I would like increase it by five percent or whatever it was. So um, you, can you see what other people are offering for the card and just like one beat them by one yeah. percent? So you said it was a Misty Rainforest Expedition Misty, yeah. And let's see, select sets. So Zendikar Expeditions looks like $232. Um, So when I click on here, it shows me the last 10 trades and what they were traded at. So it looks like April 26th, uh, there was a trade of $201, which was 95% of value. Uh, Top 10 offers right now, the top offer on a 75%. So if you really wanted to pick those up and you went on there and offered like 85-90%, I'm sure you would probably pick them up within a couple of weeks. But you just have to put the credit on your account. And when you're starting out, they have a thing where I think it's your first is it 30 or 60 days. If you put money on there and for any reason you want to pull the money out, they don't charge you any transaction fee. So okay. um like for example, when I traded off spirits, because I tried to sell it in town, but we live in the lovely city of Klamath Falls, and a lot of people don't have the dispensable cash to uh, drop $700 on a deck or just don't want to based on whatever it is, um, I parted it out on Cardsphere and actually cashed it out. And so what they do is if you cash out cash, they charge you a 10% transaction fee or $10, whichever is more. Hmm. So... Um, out of about 750, I ended up netting, I think, six six and change, whatever it was, um, which wasn't bad compared to what I would do on, you know, like TCG player and all that stuff as well. That sounds super reasonable. Yeah. I need to get on there. Yeah. And uh, with that, if you're getting rid of cards, it's super easy because you just say, I have these cards, go to send, and then it shows you a list of all of the cards that they have and what people are offering for them. And if I have it, I just click, I'm sending you this and package it up, mail it out. And then once they get it, they receive it. And that gets credited to your account. I get power. Like is the most expensive thing I've seen listed is tabernacle. Yeah. There, Some people, tabernacles are more than power. That's true. The, I think the most expensive card listed right now is like an MP tabby at like two grand, I think. Yeah, thirteen fifty is what it's listed at. Interesting. Yeah, so I know people trade like uh, dual lands and stuff on here all the time. 
Um, I would imagine you'd be able to pick up power if you were willing to pay for it. So, are we gonna add something, Josh? Oh yeah, uh, somebody, somebody. Uh, there's been one Mox Pearl done on here in the last year, uh, for example, um, for nineteen hundred bucks. It was an unlimited one. What condition? SP. That is that slight play or light play? So they um, do they do near mint uh, SP, HP, and then yeah, I think it's just those three. Yeah, so it's pretty similar to white play. That's a good deal, then. It is. <clears throat> okay, well, since I know nothing about card sphere, I'm going to change the topic <laughs> to something I do know a lot about, and this is an option for a lot of people who just don't know it even exists, and this is buy listing. Buy listing is where a store has a list of cards that they are offering prices for, and the best stores, the bigger stores, will have almost every card imaginable on their list. Some will go down to like, you know, one cent or even two cents on certain cards. Uh, the best buy lists really stop at a nickel. But uh, you can go to any of the big retailers, click on their buy list, and see what they're offering for any given card. And it used to be very difficult to figure out how to get the best like bang for your card because you would have to go to all these different buy lists and compare, okay, Channel Fireball is offering this, and Star City Games is offering this, and oh, there's a 30% bonus with this store uh, if I do store credit. And it was very difficult until Card Kingdom started their buy list. Card Kingdom is very clearly the best buy list, and it's really not close. You used to have to subscribe to a service which would list all the buy list prices side by side, and you could just compare. But once everybody realized Card Kingdom was the best buy list for every single card, just about every single card, there's there's really no reason to buy list anywhere else. So I have, I think, seven buy lists that I've done with Card Kingdom this year, uh, all the way up to like $3,000. Um, oh. Yeah, like Card Kingdom is just so great for listing cards. And I want to mention this too. Whenever somebody says... I have X amount of cards, uh, say like I have a 75 card modern deck that I would like to sell. I'll take that list, punch it into Card Kingdom, see what their buy list is, and then I'll just offer that price because I know I can get whatever Card Kingdom's getting on their selling price uh, if I offer their buy list. And so that's a really neat tool that I use a lot and I recommend it to everybody. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, I do want to, I want to add one more thing actually. On some of the financial podcasts, they recommend doing this with your bulk. Just go through your bulk, every single card, punch it into Card Kingdom, and some people have mentioned that they were able to get like a beta duel out of cards that were just sitting in boxes. Wow. Kind oh wow. Of, kind of crazy. Yeah, I uh I have a similar thing actually, like not quite beta duel, uh but uh fetches um, I had a lot of bulk rares. Um, when I played standard a lot, uh, and I'm getting a bit, a bit back in more, um, I tend to do quite well uh, for one reason or another. I'm very good at that format. Not that I enjoy it all that much, but I'm quite good at it. Um, so I ended up with a lot of loose packs, which I never really occurred to me to trade them. Uh, so I ended up opening them. So I'd end up with a lot of trash, a lot of bulk rares, a lot of bulk foils. Um, 
not this past GP Portland, the one before, uh, I ended up with uh, $640 in bulk, uh, just a few fat packs full uh, of just bulk rares. And I walked away with $640 cash, uh, which was far more than I had invested. Um, so it, it felt very good. Um, you know, ha- that was probably built up over, you know, four mo- four or five months of playing. Uh, I can only imagine had that continued for a year that probably could have been a beta dole in bulk. Um, so yeah, you know, that's a, that's a very real thing. Um, it turned into fetch lands for me, which was much more usable for me than a beta dole. Uh, and if you're trying to get into modern, that's really what you need. Yeah, exactly. Uh, cause those are some of the most pri- price prohibitive things right that right now that like mind sculptor, I think. Um, I was looking at yeah. like, the highest price cards recently. It's like mind sculptor, horizon <laughs> canopy and fetch lands. So, uh, Freddie, do you have anything to add on buy listing? Yeah, uh, I think that buy listing is another good thing. And doing a combination of these things is really um, essential in building a collection and getting um, getting those standard cards that are going to rotate and lose value. Um, getting rid of them before they get to the point where they're tanked in value and turning them into eternally playable cards. So I've done this a lot with uh, a lot of my standard stuff. I sold, I've never sold a card kingdom. Um, I'll have to check them out the next time I'm considering it. Uh, but I did through star city before, and that's actually how I built my first modern deck was uh, I took a bunch of kind of, like you said, everything that I opened from packs and just buy listed everything I had. And I was like, Oh, okay. I can buy all my fetches. I can get um, my shocks and then was able to trade for the rest and built um built like a modern prowess deck out of it um and then those things that i had picked up for it was able to carry those over convert them into a more tier deck like uh burn which i still i got rid of and then rebuilt and uh (laughs) then foiled out so uh, but yeah i think that buy listing is a very viable option for getting rid of all that crap you have laying around that's not doing anything but collecting dust and turning it into something valuable yeah for sure um, and on the next one uh, is Facebook groups. Uh, for us, we've got our local group with Klamath Falls Magic. Um, I post desperate pleas for car foils on there pretty frequently, and then Travis <laughs> will answer me with damaged ones uh, and just <laughs> get- thoroughly disappoint me. <laughs> I gave you box toppers. That's true. I- That's true. I did get box toppers from you, but the island was disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, and then we figured out you don't even have to play Snowland, so it's a moot point. Yeah, thank God. Uh, But the box (laughs) toppers are beautiful. Uh, uh, Oh my gosh. And then the high-end buy-sell trade group and then just the general buy-sell trade group are both pretty great. Um, Yeah, I I have gotten some killer deals on there. I've seen some killer deals done on there. MTG Sick Deals, another sweet page. And MTG, uh, MTG Damaged is another good one. Um, I actually scooped up a sun bleached lightning bolt on there, uh, for two bucks. Uh, <laughs> it's an <laughs> unlimited sun bleached bolt, which for some people like me who like sun bleach cards, it's worth more. I was happy to pay $2 for that. <laughs> what? A yeah, sun bleached card is worth more. It can be to certain people like, uh, Caleb Shear, for example, really likes sun bleach cards. Um, uh, they're strange people, but yeah, yeah. I have a sun bleach lightning bolt. I'll show it to you sometime. Uh, it looks really cool. 
I have a <laughs> but, couple uh, unlimited lightning bolts. I'll just put them in the sun and see for myself. It takes a long time, but I'll... Just leave I'll, them on your windowsill? I'll, I'll show you some tricks. It's easier to do it in Klamath, thankfully. I can't... Uh, I, I was joking. Why, why, why would damaging your card be worth more? Listen, man. There are weird people out there, okay? Myself I'm just going to put these narcissists on the dash of my truck don't for a while. Don't do that. I don't want those sun bleached. Gosh, what is happening? <laughs> I plan to buy list those. <laughs> all right, all right. But yeah, the groups are a great place uh, to actually get some really, really awesome deals. Um, like I said, I've done a few myself. I don't use the Facebook groups as much, uh, but I know you do a bit, Travis, and I've got a lot of folks who do that I just have do business for me. <laughs> but uh, kind of similar to how to do card sphere. But yeah, no, Ed, they're they're a great tool and resource. Yeah, so the high end group is probably the biggest one for me. Uh, when you're doing these kinds of uh, over fifty dollar transactions, the high end group is really great because it keeps a record, and you can go back and look at anybody's name and see the transactions that they were involved in, and so it, it has a little bit of credibility there. Uh, the moderators are also pretty solid in the high-end group. So almost any time I'm trying to sell a card that's $50 or more, I'll start with uh, my local area, anybody I know that is like interested in the card, because then I won't have to pay any sort of seller fee or shipping or buy a top loader or any of that. <clears throat> but if that doesn't work out, then the high-end group is the next best option because there's no... Uh, fees related to selling on Facebook or Twitter, for example. Um, so I use the high-end group a lot, mostly to sell, uh, sometimes to buy. Like right now, I'm trying to get those Misty Rainforests, but I'll check out Cardsphere too. All right. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to add anything, Freddie. No, okay. I think, I mean, I don't really do anything on any of the groups, so... Um, like I do a little bit locally on the Klamath Falls group. I'm parts. I'm a part of those groups on Facebook. I just I tend to just seek out other routes uh, for no real reason other than like I just have the things that I'm comfortable with. That works. Okay, let's go to number seven. The best ways to build your collection, and this is to start a TCG TCG player seller store. Uh, anybody can do this. You can go onto tcgplayer.com and find uh, the link where it says sell cards with us. And you build a store. Uh, since we luckily live in a tax-free state, you don't even have to collect taxes or any of that. It's really nice. So uh, they have a level system for different kinds of sellers. It goes all the way up to level four. Once you get 50 sales and you have, I think it's like 90 plus percent feedback, uh, then you are a level four store. Up until that point, you have to list cards with 99 cent shipping, which is a real bummer if you're selling small cards. Um, so your first 50 transactions really do need to be cards that are $10 or more if you want to make it worth your while. But once you've done that, you can list every single card. I recommend all the way down to 40 cents and up. Uh, on TCG Player, just cards that are sitting in your binders, cards that are worth money, but for whatever reason, they're not on a buy list. This is a really awesome way to liquidate cards in uh, in mass. So this last weekend, while I was uh, randomly playing the Modern Challenge, 
between rounds, I would list all cards that were just kind of sitting around. And uh, it totaled, I don't know, probably $1,000 in cards that I listed. And about $250 worth of them sold uh, over the weekend. So I had like 20 transactions. And I've still got the last four uh, packaged up on my desk right now to get them in the mail. Uh, I would say if you're going to sell on there, a couple things do really well. Signed cards do well because you can take pictures. Altered cards do well, same reason. For whatever reason, commander cards sell really well on TCG Player. I would also mention damage cards. The way the algorithm works when you uh, like uh, fill my cart or whatever button you press where the algorithm goes through and tries to find the best options, they sometimes select damage cards unintentionally. Like you didn't want a damage card, but it puts it in your cart anyway. And so I'll sell damage cards all the time because of that algorithm. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, hey, so, player, thanks. I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, use it to your advantage. Because um, by and large, you're not going to be able to buy less damage cards. You'll just get them back in the mail, and you'll have to be out that shipping right. cost. But man, when I buy or sell, like say I buy a whole deck and I want to liquidate it, and I can't find anybody in town. I, I could have months where I'll sell up to $1,000 in cards. I probably average about $300 a month coming in from my seller store. Um, it's just a lot of cards coming in, a lot of cards going out. And once I have that cash in my hand, I'll turn it into an Expedition Misty or uh, Liliana the Last Hope to finish Grixis, Del or Grixis Death Shadow or whatever uh, staple it is that I'm looking for at that time sweet yeah i uh i've been meaning to get into the tcg seller stuff and for me it's it's a time constraint thing um i like it's one of those things that i'm like ah one of these days one of these days i've actually got this big scheme uh i figured out how to do a super quick really nice altar on thought scour and that's a very popular modern card so I've got this this plan to just alter like 150 thought scours and just what? a TCG player. <laughs> Are you just drawing a phallic symbol on them? No, not this time. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, no, fel no, no felidar cubs or anything. No, I'll send you a picture. I, I did. <laughs> I I, uh, I did one for Freddie last night. I did a pretty sweet mana leak too. <laughs> I'm so okay. I'll check it, it out. <laughs> I do do real art. I don't just draw dicks everywhere. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Though I have been known to do that. <laughs> the old saying is what? You are what you draw. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think that's what it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I've sold some on TCG Player. Um, I think I'm sitting at, I was looking, I logged into my seller dashboard here. I think I'm at 26 <laughs> lifetime transactions, so I'm not there yet, but... Uh, 26? Yeah. Let me see what I'm at. Those are those are rookie numbers, I know, but... Um, I'm at 1,100. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same thing of just, like, I only tend to do it on higher value cards at this point, because um, with shipping and all that, it's it's not worth it to do one $2 cards. Uh, no one's going to buy them. So going into number eight, keeping eternally playable cards from standard sets. So uh, we are 
sitting on a bunch of eternally playable standard cards right now. Uh, Teferis, we've got all the new Planeswalkers that came out. There's a bunch of those that are seeing eternal play. Um, don't get rid of those. So if you see a thing like Arclight Phoenix, for example, and you're like, hmm, that's a cool card. Uh, and for a while, our regular Arclight Phoenixes were over $30, I think. Uh, hold on to those because you can turn them into a modern deck such as Blue Red Phoenix. Um, but yeah, this is another thing when going through stuff for buy listing, if I'm getting towards liquidating a standard deck, uh, first thing I do is go through like metagame lists on MTG Goldfish, uh, start looking at what cards do I have in here that are seeing play in other decks. And I tend to hold on to those for local trades. If I know somebody's going to potentially be building a deck, I have trade fodder to trade locally as opposed that's, to getting rid of it that's um, for whatever the buy list is. That's half of the value. Um, hang on to that. So I really like that. Yeah. I, uh, and on the other half of that, uh, trade me all of your Teferi Hero of Dominarias when they're $15 at rotation, guys. Oh my gosh. Because <sighs> that's what I'll be doing. I, I do don't, the, I do I don't think it drops that. that low. Snapcaster Mage was $17 when it rotated. Yeah. I, but is <laughs> Snapcaster Mage like, like debatably the best Planeswalker ever printed? <laughs> no. Wait, but Snapcaster... Snapcaster Mage was $17 when it rotated. It's more widely played than Teferi. Uh, I think if Snapcaster dropped that much, uh, I, th- I think Teferi will be sub $20. Um, I'll pick him up at 20 even, because it's one of those cards that'll jump back up to 40 later. Yeah. I'll, I'll probably pick a few of them up. Um, and same goes for like little Teferi when it starts bottoming out. I'm going to pick those up like crazy. I was uh, picking up Karn the Great Creators at $7 a piece at, at, at release. Um, I'm picking up Narsets like crazy right now. Um, I'm up to 34, I believe. We were talking about the earlier. evil speculator. Yeah, I do it with standing cards. I'm I'm an evil evil speculator. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna use that to fund um, more modern decks. Uh, and that's that's the general plan. That's what I do is I'll just buy standard crap really cheap and uh, hope to God that it, it increases in price. And then sell it off. So trade me all your Teferis at $20. Can you trade me like four of them first and then trade the rest to Josh? Ah, you, don't, you don't need four. You only need two. I only <laughs> yeah. need two, but I want four. Yeah. You guys hit on something that's really important to remember too. At peak supply, which is right before another set becomes the focus. So like with War of the Spark, we're coming into Modern Horizons. War of the Spark isn't going to be opened as much. It's still going to be opened, but there's going to be less demand, like more, uh, I would say less, how do I want to phrase this? There's going to be less downward pressure on the prices because fewer boxes are being opened. And so it might be peak supply at this point for War of the Spark. So if there are eternally playable planeswalkers that you're looking at, it might be the time to buy in now. Yep, agreed. Like I said, that's that's Narset for me. Um, and these a lot of these uncommon walkers uh, that are super, super cheap right now, they're worth picking up because they're change um, if they end up having some weird application. Like we're seeing with Davriel popping up in uh, lists in modern, like the, uh, the 10 rack decks or whatever now. 
um, mm. stuff like that. Like he's he's a quarter right now. If that deck picks up steam, especially with tools that it gets in Modern Horizons or whatever, he's suddenly two dollars. Uh, so like with Narset, you know, I was picking them up at a quarter apiece at launch. They're three dollars now. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a large percentage increase. Obviously, it's not a lot of money, but when you have a lot of that card, you know, you've you've made a you've made a solid little chunk for what is a very very minor investment. Yeah, you're spot on. Uh, okay, let's go to number nine. And this is my bread and butter. This is buying complete collections. So I have a lot to say about this, but I'll be as brief as I can. Uh, basically, you need to develop a reputation as a buyer. Uh, be honest with the people that you're trying to purchase cards from. Uh, tell them things like, yes, I've, I value your collection at X amount of dollars, but it's going to take me this amount of hours, and I'm going to pay myself a reasonable wage to go through it. So I'm offering you this amount, which might be you know, 50% of what it's actually worth, depending on how big the collection is and what you're going to go through. Um, yeah. The, the best thing you can, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the best thing you can do uh, as far as buying collections is always carry cash. Uh, or what I do now is I always carry a checkbook in my trade binder. Uh, so if my binder gets stolen, I have to also let my wife and my bank know, <laughs> which would be really terrible. But uh, <laughs> you should always have significant amounts of cash on you because you never know when somebody's going to say, hey, I'm just really hard up for cash. I need to pay the electric bill. Would you like to buy my <laughs> underground C for $170? And the answer is typically, yes, I would love to. And I've gotten dual lands at under buy list prices just because I had, you know, cash in my wallet. So um, once you have this reputation, people will recommend you to other people. You think, oh, who's that guy who buys collections? I've had more than a handful of those uh, where they ended up being, you know, $800 collections that were worth $1,700 or... Uh, one collection I bought that was just so many cards and they were so like small in value, but it totaled right around two grand. But I just told the guy, look, this is going to take me forever to go through. I'll give you $600. And he's like, I'll take that in a heartbeat. Because when you're hard up for cash, uh, you'll take just about whatever somebody's willing to offer you. So Money talks. Buy, yeah, it really does. So having cash in your pocket will get you significant deals. Uh, and then once you have a, like a huge collection in front of you, you can use all the tools we've talked about to liquidate those and turn those into the cards you need, whether it's fetch lands or dual lands or uh, whatever staple you're trying to purchase. So there you go. Yeah. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I've, I've bought, realistically, I've only ever bought one collection. Um, I inherited two, um, but I've only ever bought one collection. And it was a real home run for me. The person was very, very hard up for money. Um, they didn't really play. It was like an X's stuff. That, yeah, it, it was a big thing. Um, they, they're like, yeah, they're like, this has just been sitting in my house for, you know, five years, uh, five, six years. I just want it gone. And when I hear five, six years, um, at that time, it was around Zendikar. <laughs> uh, so I was like, done. Uh, so I, I looked through and, there was a lot going on. And she was like, I just need $250. And I was like, okay, well, let me let me take a peek through here. And I took a peek through there, and there's Packfoil Eldrazi. There were Onslaught Fetches. There were 
pack foil primeval titans um it was it was a nice little collection um and i was like well i want you to know there's i'd be willing to get more for this and she's like no she's like i appreciate your honesty and she's like 250 i gave 250 for this collection easily worth a few grand um and that bought that jump started my collection um i'm somebody who's had to start zero recently um i had a fourteen thousand dollar collection stolen out of my car um don't keep your stuff in cars that's another free tip for you guys don't do that it's dumb <laughs> pro tip uh, <laughs> smart but uh unfortunately for me my wife was en route to get me and made a pit stop while bringing my bag and car got broken into uh <laughs> so don't do that uh, <laughs> but uh i've had to start from zero recently and you know if you're going to start from zero and you've got some cash to spend, buying collections is the way to do it. I, I've had success with that. The two collections that I was given as well, um, you know, I just really sat down and dug through it. Just these big, you know, four rows. Like, just sit down, take the time. And if you're not familiar with a card, look it up. Like, there's some obscure stuff out there that's worth some stupid money. Um, Popper drives up prices. Commander mm-hmm. drives up prices. <clears throat> collectability in the reserve list like there's there are a lot of ways to make money with especially older collections that you happen onto for very very low sums of money yeah, for sure i would say also stay tuned to the website mtg stocks that will give you specifically the interest page that'll give you a rough idea of what the market is doing what cards people are buying uh and you know what you can expect future cards to do so like you see Karn the great creator go up it's like oh my gosh there's some sort of uh, tron meta shift that i need to be aware of and you can buy into your Ostones. you can buy into your o stones or you can buy into whatever other tron pieces you would need or like isochron scepters are spiking right now like <laughs> there's there's so many of these cards that will just go up for random reasons it's like pay attention and you can definitely make money off of it. Yeah, I was following MTG stocks pretty hard when I was uh, building Grixis Death Shadow, mm-hmm. and I saw that uh, on MTG stocks it was fluctuating pretty dramatically for foil, cold snap, Mishra's bobbles. I was like, "What's going on yeah. here?" And the the issue was there was only like two copies listed. I was like, "Oh my gosh, there's only two copies left!" And so I bought the last two on TCG Player and the last two on Card Kingdom, and they went from 40 to 100. So, like, if you're wow. just, like, watching the market, you can make that decision. Okay, should I buy the foils? Will that be a better value long-term, or should I buy the regulars? So, anyway, there you go. Pro tip. Yeah, I mean, like, paying attention to that stuff, like, things like LED have spiked, like, 50 bucks today. Like, it's just... It's it's a it's a good site to to use, especially if you're trying to increase your collection for sure. Ten and eleven are meme picks. <laughs> I, I honestly think ten is less of a meme pick. You and I both have personal experience with this. I think that's a pro tip, honestly. Like, yeah. go ahead, Josh. Ten is get a grown up job, uh, which is what I did, uh, or marry someone who has a grown up. <laughs> just what i did Travis did. <laughs> I, I get paid uh, almost 60 grand a year to <laughs> children selling cell phones uh it's Target. pretty lucrative and it's a pretty pretty easy job uh but it's you know pays me well uh, and i'm able to 
to enjoy my hobby. And Travis's wife got a nice job. <laughs> uh, I'm a part-time youth pastor, and I make pennies. I, I don't get a whole lot of money. But my wife got this ridiculous job, and I didn't have to bind or grind at all after that. I even got to quit my second job, which was uh, pretty nice. So marrying somebody who has income, man, that'll solve a lot of your problems. You probably yeah, won't have to it, do any it of it. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> Money does, in fact, talk. And that comes from a place of privilege, of course. But, uh, you know, this is this is a list of options. There's several options. This was just my personal favorite. <laughs> yeah, and I think, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things like everybody starts somewhere. And, you know, I remember being broke in college and, you know, using my my last small dollars to fund whatever hobby it was at the time. Like I wasn't into magic when I was at that point in my life, but I can imagine if I was, I'd be like, Oh man, I'm going to have to buy another Saffron Olive budget deck or something like that. And that would be just upsetting to me. Um, it was to but grind out your WoW sub at the time is what it was. Yeah, I grind out the WoW sub and like, oh, I really need a new video car. <laughs> 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 so, uh, which actually, you know, mentioning the Saffron Olive brings us into the number 11 pick, oh, which, is, which is Pump and Dumps. So anytime <laughs> that, that oh, man. Two, and, two and three against the odds deck, you know there's going to be some people out there that are like, yeah, I got to build this. So, you know, just just buy it out. You know, turn that trash card into from a ten cent card into a two dollar card, and you're just like killing it. Um, and if all <laughs> fails, uh, sell off some of your stock portfolio and do whatever the hell Rudy says because <laughs> he's a pretty stand up guy, in my opinion. Oh my goodness! <laughs> he said with much sarcasm. <laughs> uh, okay, just going Let- in. <laughs> Let's hold this uh, in. As a reminder, on the MTG Finance, we are the ninety-nine percent. Bring down Travis Hilly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I I am a huge fan of MTG Finance, but it's getting a bad rap because Hashtag all the MTG Finance. Yeah, all the things we talked about above are MTG Finance. It's being wise about how you do your transactions, so you're not throwing money away and just giving dealers free money. Like, don't take I, your. I agree that. Yeah. I agree. I think I think where I have issues is when you start getting into like the the buyouts and you know the manipulating the market beyond like, the scope. I randomly of... bought out scrying sheets three months ago. Okay, so you know, I mean, that <laughs> happened to Martha Stewart, and she went to prison. <laughs> My goodness. Okay, so the scrying sheets thing being that people knew about snow permanence being in Modern Horizons before it was revealed or previewed. And I do have a problem with that. I think there's a problem with how Wizards is releasing their information. And I suspect, this is the first time I'm saying it publicly, I guess, that people who are given previews or the printers or someone at WotC is selling that information because I can go on to these finance discords and they know things that they should not know. Yeah. It is is troubling. It is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and and that is where my issue lies too. I I give a lot of crap, and I'm and like I'm very passionate about the game, and very passionate about. I'm just a passionate guy, uh, but uh, I like for me, it's like I promote MTG Finance in a way that I feel it'll help the average person be able to play the game more, and that's my ideal of MTG Finance: be mm-hmm. able to to rotate your collection and your funds to make the game more playable for yourself and others. 
games. Um, if I have a large sum of, of Narsets, somebody in town's going to go, hey, Josh has Narsets. I can trade for those. Um, and it's good for me. It's good for them. Uh, but, you know, when you're manipulating was it, good, it, it, it was. Uh, okay. It was only like three minutes. Uh, but it was like, when, when you have an unregulated, uh, just an unregulated market, and you're leaking info to people, and things like sliver buyouts and snow buyouts are happening. Like, there was the sliver buyout, too, um, which people are realizing. <laughs> um, it's, it, it feels really bad. It leaves a very bad taste in your mouth. It keeps you from wanting to be associated with, with what has now become a dirty term of MTG finance. Um, and it sucks, uh, because I, I've, trading was one of my favorite things for a very long time. But... Even I like don't want to be associated with the idea of MTG finance. Here we are doing an episode about it. Um, of course, because I'm here. <laughs> but yeah, guys, we uh, <laughs> we did not buy out scrying sheets. We did not buy out slivers. Uh, we do not have insider information. <laughs> Fair. I am Which a pretty I terrible think... human. If I knew about it, I totally would have done it. I know you, you know, would have. I think that know. brings us into next week's episode, White Privilege and What It Can Do For You. Um <laughs> wow well then i feel really attacked as well you should speaking of white cards i'm I'm being jovial uh we do want to hit on a couple of the preview cards for modern horizons that came out since our last episode specifically this one i think is going to see a lot of play and we need to be aware of it it is Unsettled Mariner, blue and a white for a 2-2, so meddling mage. But the text says Changeling, so it is indeed a human. Whenever Ugh. you or a permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter that spell or ability unless its controller pays one. Do you guys think this will see play in modern? I do. I uh, think there is a chance. I do think it is also incredibly overrated. Uh, I think it is very, very good, um, and I think it'll see play in humans. But I do not think, uh, for example, Jonesy, I've had to like be like no, <laughs> like seven times over the past two days. It's like <laughs> <really>, stop. <laughs> I think a yeah, lot but... of the times this ends up being a, another Thalia, albeit a one-sided one. Not that the one-sidedness matters in humans very frequently. I think a lot of the times this ends up being another Thalia. Um, the ability thing is kind of relevant like maybe if liliana was seeing more play right now or something but i think 90 percent of the time it's going to be another thalia uh but yeah i it's it's good and i think they'll play it but i don't think it's insane yeah and i was we had kind of d- briefly discussed this earlier when we were chatting was uh i like i didn't even notice the changeling text so i'm like oh okay obviously humans now but uh i was more my first mindset went to like blue white taxes or something in modern yeah yeah we were Um, were discussing this yeah which once again it's like okay you get a second thalia yeah and and the blue white mid-range slash taxes deck has been picking up steam a little bit people have been playing it a lot lately from the more devoted taxes lists with thalia and things like that and then just the blue white mid-range decks with like Wall of Omens, Restoration Angel, Kitchen Finks, Reflector Mage, Spell Queller. Um, I do think this settles nice in there, but like, I don't think it's broken for what it's worth. Yeah. Neither. 
I think it's I strong, think... but I don't think it's like overpowered by any means. I definitely think Thalia is better. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I'd rather I... have Thalia. Yeah, let's go to our next series of cards. This is a cycle, literally yes. cycling. Uh, the Onslaught Cycle lands. So these are uh, tap lands. They enter tap. They tap for Wooburg. Uh, so there's a white one, a red, blue, black, and green. And they have cycling for that color. This is going to change modern, I'm pretty yeah. certain. Absolutely. Um, and I talked about this on our Horizons podcast. Um, and I've talked about it a lot. These are a cycle of cards I have wanted in modern for a very, very long time. Um, even without, you know, Astral Drift or whatever, which this mm. does push the, the potential for that deck to see some play now. Um, and we've also seen a lot of potential, like a Loam deck again. Um, Loam Aggro was, was one of the best mid-range decks in modern for quite a while around 2012, early 2013. Uh, you know, Tarmogoyfs, Bobs, uh, Flame Jabs, Life from the Loams, that like. Um, and we've gotten so many tools for it. And just seeing these lands and playing them in conjunction with a card like Ren and Six, um, things like that. Oh my gosh. Has that not occurred to you? <laughs> it's a limited combo. I like that. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, even without Astral Drift, you've also got... Yeah, you know, the the Lone Pox decks that used to exist as well, um, yes. and oh man, I'm just so so stoked. I wish they all would have gotten new art. Some of these are you know re ups of some of the commander re releases and stuff. Like for yeah, right. Cave. Um, but like that Baron Moore art is sweet. Uh, the Secluded Step art is sweet. Lonely Sandbar has always looked good. Um, right now I'm I'm trying to figure out what decks these go in that exist already because they're creating. So I mean, Popper lands. Yeah, Popper? these are uncommon. Uh, well, yeah, but they're they're, they're originally legal. commons. They're yeah, already Popper legal. Yeah, they're already Popper legal. Oh, then why are we talking about them? Uh, I was just saying they were. It was easy to get them now. Yeah, oh, <laughs> that's okay. true. Yeah, that, uh, availability was an issue with these actually. Uh, same with like the artifact lands. Uh, but yeah, like. I'm I'm super stoked. Like I I play an irrigated farmland in blue white now and again, uh, and that's fetchable. But these cycle for one, which is super cool, especially and it's relevant in blue white control. If you're playing the terminus build, you're spending one mana to cycle rather than your two off your farmland. Um, I just thought that was super neat. I don't know if I'm gonna play it there, and I don't know if it's correct. That occurred to me, and new archetypes that it's going to spawn with these with loam decks. Um, loam went up like uh, 100% in price today. It's like $26 yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. I uh like I'm not surprised at all. That actually feels like an organic purchase. People are super super excited about what they're going to be able to do with life from the loam. Actual mm -hmm. fair things like it was meant to do. <laughs> but I just flash back to, you know, I played Astral Slide back in the day. You know, Astral Slide, my eternal witnesses buying back my cycling lands, life from the loam. Um, you know, it's, oh man. And we have so many more tools now. Is it too slow for modern? Maybe Modern's slowing down already. Uh, the most played deck now is humans with blue white right behind blue white control is the second most played deck in modern right now with, and then Tron. So you have two slower decks right in the middle of the pack of most played decks of Matt. So if that's where we're getting to, if these decks have the tools to combat something like Tron or something like humans, 
then they they have a real chance. And cards like Renin Six and Flame Jab really, really allow them to do it. And these cycling lands make that possible. So I'm super, super excited about them. I want to mess around so bad right now with Renin Six with these. Yeah. I'm imagining you cycle on turn two, or this would be on turn three. You cycle, get your land back by plussing. Then you have the option of playing it or cycling again. Yeah. Jeez. Or these cycling, are... cycling, getting back your loam, uh, replacing the draw with the dredge from your loam. Yeah. Back multiple cycle lands. Like it's very, very good. It's a massive value engine. Um, Cause, and it, because, go, oh, go ahead. Uh, it makes me think of cards like Countryside Crush again. Um, uh, like I've, I've mentioned it before. That's a card that saw legacy play. Uh, and, like for those not familiar, it's a three drop. It's one red red. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, you reveal the top card of your library. If it's a land, you put it in the graveyard and repeat. But whenever a land's put in your graveyard from anywhere, you put a plus one plus one counter on it. Um, it's already, I think it's a three three for three, if I'm not mistaken, or a two. Th- yeah, it's already a three three for three, which is an okay rate. Um, it doesn't Guys, have evasion. What set is it from? Uh, Morning Tide. That's a really rare set, so we should buy it out. <laughs> it was reprinted in Modern Masters. <laughs> Dang it. I have a play set of them already, though. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and the art's awesome, too. Like, don't play don't play the Modern Masters art like a degenerate. Like, you need to play the original Morning Tide. But yeah, like, it's a really cool card. And Only I'm... 27 copies on TCG Player. Let's do it. <laughs> Way ahead of you. <laughs> but no like this is a card i've been looking at for a while um i had jonesy pick me up some last time he was in um just at time vault rest in peace um but uh last time he was at time vault i had him buy all their country cycles so it's it's a card i like a lot but they're only like a buck so (laughs) see that foils are only like five yeah yeah get them now Uh, last two cards, uh, Black Sorcery called Unearth. This is a reprint, one that I'm kind of fond of. Uh, it says, return target sorcery card with CMC three or less. Creature. From your... What did you, I say? You said sorcery. <laughs> return target sorcery. Return target creature card uh, with CMC three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So it's a reanimate for three CMC. You don't have to lose life. And then... It also has cycling for two. Yeah, so this is this is getting back Snapcaster Mages a lot of the time in Legacy. Because uh, mm, then you can cast Unearth a second time when it enters. Yeah. Um, this makes me hope Grixis becomes a thing again uh, in Modern, uh, just with your Snapcaster Mages uh, and just in general, just uh, Snapcaster Young Mages Pyromancer, really right? Quick. Young Pyromancer. Um, the new Pyromancer whose name escapes me. Um, Seasoned. Seasoned Pyromancer, yeah. You can get that back and get your Snapcaster back and get your clicks back. Uh, like it's it's a powerful card, uh, and it's it's a happy addition to modern. You can also get Death Shadow, which is That's true. Uh, oh. people were like, Oh, they already have claim to fame or whatever. It's like, well, claim to fame doesn't cycle. <laughs> like, that's huge. Like this card's never dead. That's true. I used to play this in check pile mm-hmm. to get my true name nemesis back i've played it a lot in popper uh in mono black control <laughs> so do we think this is going to see a lot of play other than what you mentioned in grixis i hope i hope it sees a lot of play like this is the exact kind of card that i want to see like a grindy card advantage card 
like you can't really do anything intrinsically unfair with this card. I guess you can get back your Celeste, your uh, your Ugin's uh, Conjurant to blow up everybody's lands with Celestial King or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, hey, that's been popping up more. <laughs> yeah, whatever. We're moving on. Next card, which <laughs> actually isn't that great. Maybe we'll see. On thin ice, it is a uh, one CMC, a white mana. For a snow enchantment aura, it enchants a snow land you control. When on thin ice, ETBs exile target creature and opponent controls until on thin ice leaves the battlefield. I think how good this card is is inversely proportionate to how good Ghost Quarter is at the time. Hmm. That's where I am with it. If you think you're going to see a lot of Ghost Quarter, don't sleeve up your own Thin Ices. Um, where I was with it is I I do not enjoy playing the card Oust. Um, I didn't enjoy it when I had to play it in Standard Callblade. I don't enjoy it now as a 1-2 to two of in Blue-White Control, but we really, really need um, another piece of 1-2 to two mana removal. Um, and it's usually Oust or Condemn, both of which I'm not a fan of. Uh, and I think this covers that well, but the problem is is that you are leaving a vulnerability in place. Uh, you're leaving this card, if you've got a lot of Assassin's Trophies or, or uh, Abrupt Decays or what be it, um, th there is the opportunity for you to get blown out. Um, but they're going to redraw that card with Oust anyways. The idea is to hope draw an answer in that time, but this does op open you up to getting two for one pretty badly if, if things do not go right. And so we listed off a couple of ways they could interact with your land, right? Yeah. We had Ghost Quarter. There was Stone Rain, which gets played in Ponza decks. Yeah, which that deck did is going to get better now. There's the green black removal spell, which just destroys That's a permanent. Right. Yeah. There's a bunch of ways to interact with basic lands even. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the real problem with it is like it's inversely proportional to how good those cards are. If Ponza does pick up in pace and you know, people are still going to keep jamming green black no matter what, though it looked pretty convincing on the uh, on the Super League. Um, but if That's people true. Are, if people are going to keep jamming it, then you have to ask yourself if it's worth it. Maybe it's a sideboard card. Maybe you're incidentally playing these pretty snowlands or whatever. N not the new ones. The new ones aren't pretty. Uh, but it's uh, wow. Maybe you're playing these these pretty snowlands. That border's garbage. Uh, <laughs> Maybe you're playing the pretty snowlands or whatever, and you have these in your sideboard, and you're bringing them in in the creature matchups like humans that don't really have a way to remove this. Like humans can't Ooh. remove. This. Yeah, humans can't remove this card. Um, spirits can't remove this card. Um, so it seems pretty good there. Blue white does struggle a little bit against humans versus kind of how Jeskai does. Jeskai has a lot more spot removal. I think this is the exact card you would want in that matchup. Uh, I think it helps a lot. That's insightful. How many yeah. basics do you think you have to run? I don't know. <laughs> that's that's the issue. Like um, how many snowlands you have to run? Yeah, well, I was, I'm assuming basics with snowlands. I'm assuming all your basics are snowlands, and then the question yeah, is how many. I'm I'm wondering if the eight that blue white already plays is enough. Um, you know, we're fetching it on turn one pretty frequently. Um, so maybe. Um, it, it's I I think maybe adding one more. Like replacing like your fifth Kavuas land or your fifth fetch land or whatever you're playing with another base a snow basic isn't necessarily a bad idea if you're playing this card. Maybe another snow covered planes. Uh, but yeah, I've 
I've been yeah. toying with the idea of cutting down on colorless sources in the deck anyways. The ceiling is just so high on this card. It is. So it's swords to plowshares without life gain. Yeah, I, I hope it's good. Like I'll be picking some up if they're cheap. Um I like I you and I have talked about it. I like the biggest downside for me is having to play Snowland. <laughs> but it's I true. not my my preferred my preferred cards. And I can't get Ice Age ones in foil. Uh, so. It's true. <laughs> Biggest downside. <laughs> How well, do you feel about this card, Freddy? Yeah. Um, you know, we've kind of already covered a lot of the the ups and downs of it. Like, I I like it in those matches where they can't really interact with it. Like, um, you know, the humans, the spirits. If anybody's still playing spirits, um. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that it seems kind of narrow is my problem with it. I feel like I feel like there's other removal I would rather play um over this. So, like we talked about declaration in stone as an option. Um I just don't like the idea of my of my removal being able to be removed on two avenues as opposed to one. Like it's an enchantment and it's a land. So if you can interact either way with that, then I have more opportunities that you can deal with this. And I don't like that downside of it. So, mm -hmm. yep, no, I agree. But I it's one should... drop too, which is sweet. Yeah, <laughs> that's the appeal. All right. So let's close the podcast this week. Do you guys have any final thoughts before we go? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think Modern's a good place, and I think it's only about to get better, guys. Um, if you're looking at buying Modern Horizons, do it. Uh, the set looks awesome. There's something for everybody except standard players, obviously. Uh, like, there's <laughs> wow. Ninjas. There's there's ninjas in there, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ninjas are pretty cool, but uh, the set looks sweet. Um, definitely recommend picking it up. But uh, yeah, other than that, final word. Uh, yeah, like, I just think we're, we're going to see a mix up here in the next couple of weeks and I'm looking forward to seeing what comes from it. So can't wait to get my sunbaked canopies or whatever they are. It's a scale up actually. Good, good try on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Freddie, where can people find you if they wanted to get in contact with you? Uh, if you were so inclined to get in contact with me you can either follow me on twitch at classic alfredo 86 or uh hit me up on instagram at classic alfredo 86 as well josh where can people find you twitter and instagram at ours is the theory and twitch at twitch.tv slash eldenari so you can find me on Twitter at Travis underscore eight four two seven and on twitch.tv backslash Travis8427. All right, guys. It's been a good week. We will see you next week.